You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but this is normally the part of the church year where I begin to get antsy for Advent and impatient. I mean, the season that we are in is the season of the church, and it's been green since, well, March, May, end of May. This is the long half of the church year, and as, if you've been with us for a number of years, you know that this, there are two halves to the church year, and one is, is very exciting. Right, we begin with Advent, and then we go into Epiphany, or sorry, Christmas is a big deal, right? Advent, and then Christmas, and then Epiphany, and then Lent, and Easter, right? It walks us through the story of Jesus and leads us on this, this journey of joy and hope. And then we get to the boring season, when we just do the same thing, read the gospel all summer and fall long. Now, one of the things about this, you'll notice, if you've been paying attention to the gospel readings for the last few weeks, is that as this season of, of green goes on, the, the gospel lessons get sterner and sterner. They get more and more in your face. And I think there's a lesson to be learned from this, that when something is long, we're impatient, we begin to forget what's going on. We, we begin to forget where we're going, who sent us there, and we need to be reminded of what's going on and whose we are. Because when we forget this, we actually come up with our own set of ideas about where we're going and what we're doing, and they tend not to be very good ideas. That's one of the main lessons from this encounter in our gospel lesson today. We're going to go through it, so I do invite you to take out your bulletin to turn to the gospel reading, because we're going to go through it verse by verse. <clears throat> Jesus is still, as we, well, in the last couple of weeks, we saw a couple tense gospel lessons, right? Jesus was uh, having encounters with, he was, he was preaching in the temple and was confronted by the Pharisees and tax collectors, the religious leaders. And he last, two weeks ago, he, he talked about the first being last. And last week we talked about religious hypocrisy and the conversation with them, the conflict is still going on. That's where our text begins. Verse, 20, verse 33, listen to another parable. Now, this in and of itself is kind of interesting. Jesus is still going on. They are conspiring against him. He, they know, Jesus knows, he's not going to change their mind. Their minds are certainly made up. They've been plotting against him for a while. But Jesus is still pleading with them. Pleading with them. He's still trying to persuade and trying to convince. And there's a lesson for us there about the identity of the Lord. Because we find a similar sense of earnestness. In the Lord of the Vineyard, the main character in his gospel, or sorry, in the, in the parable that he reads, that he, he tells them, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it and dug a pit for it in winepress. He built a watchtower. Then he leased it to the tenant farmers and went on a journey. When the harvest time was near, he sent his slaves so that to the tenants to collect the portion of the crop. Now, this in and of itself is not terribly remarkable information. It, it's a pretty standard thing for a wealthy landowner to, to build a vineyard, to build all the, the apparatus that's necessary for it, and then to hire people to manage it and watch over it. You yourselves might be familiar with similar things from your own professions. But I, Jesus here is calling to mind an image from the Old Testament, as these scholars certainly would have known from Isaiah 5. 
the, inyard of, the, 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 the vision of God planting a vineyard, and that vineyard being Israel. But Jesus hasn't just pulled out that image. He's taken it, and then he's modified it. He's changed it. Because if you notice from the Old Testament lesson, the problem is the vineyard. The Lord tends it. The Lord's, Lord builds it, but it yields wild grapes. But as we're going to see in the lesson, the problem in Jesus' parable is the tenant farmers. The vineyard itself is not the problem. And that's important for us to make sure we don't misapply this. The problem is those who watch over it, who care for it, who are charged with bearing its fruits. So what do they do? Well, verse 35. The tenants seize the slaves, they beat one, and they kill another and stone another. And again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Is this normal behavior for tenant farmers in your guys' experience? No. No. These tenant farmers, well... The hearers of Jesus' story will be struck by two things from this. First, just who do these guys think they are? Who do these guys think they are? They, not only are they, are they violent with what is lawfully belonging to the owner, and they're murderous, but they also have very bizarre and, and malconceived ideas of how inheritances work. Normally, murderers don't get the property of the person they, they murdered. It's not how it works. But in these tenant farmers' minds, this is the plan that they have devised for themselves. And this plan comes from a simple fact. They have forgotten who they are. They have forgotten that they are stewards. They have forgotten that it's not their vineyard. They've begun to think of it as theirs. They've begun to think of the harvest as theirs. And so they resist everyone who comes who reminds them, this isn't yours. You have a price to pay. You have a product to present. They have been tasked, so Jesus is telling this directly, the parable tells us later, directly against the leaders of Israel. So it's important that we don't mistake this as being against Jews. This is not an anti-Semitic parable that's about why God rejected the Jews. This is about the leaders of Israel. Israel is the vineyard. The tenant farmers are the leaders that Jesus is interacting with. And these leaders, well, they're not doing their job. They're not keeping watch over the flock of Israel. They're not leading them in the law of Moses and keeping them waiting for the Messiah that Moses foretold. They've forgotten who they are. They've forgotten who Israel is. And so they are twisting and turning everything to meet their own needs and desires. And leads them even into murderous places. Now, most directly, this is a scary parable for pastors to read. And it should be a scary parable for pastors to read because pastors most directly fit in this situation of being tasked with watching over God's flock. And it stands as a harrowing or, uh, warning of the temptation to forget who's, who belongs to whom and what exactly we're doing. And so if I were preaching to a bunch of pastors, this would be a lot more fun, or at least a lot more scary. But more broadly, we can take and ask, well... Do we all forget who's, what belongs to who? We've all been called to serve as stewards of various things. Maybe you're a parent and you steward your children. 
Maybe you're an employer and you steward your employees. Maybe you own a home and you steward your home. Everything that God has given you in life, everything you need, everything that we call daily bread, is a gift from God you are called to steward. We learned it in the small catechism, right? God made me and all creatures. He's given me body and soul, clothing and food, family and work. He richly and daily provides me with all I need to support this body and life. And all of this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. And we forget that last little tag on that Luther put. For all this, it is my duty to thank, praise, serve, and obey. See, when we forget that everything we have, everything we have from our daily bread to our country, to our family, to our jobs, to our church, that it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. It is something we were given to receive with thanksgiving and serve our neighbors. And when we forget this, we begin to tell other stories and put the things in the wrong place and think of ourselves as owners who have a right to control the future when we don't have that right. Now, especially for us as Christians, as Christians in our baptisms and through Christ, we've been saved. We've been saved from hell and judgment. And we are grateful for our salvation. And we rejoice that it is by grace and not through our works. But sometimes we forget that we are not just saved from something but for something. We are saved from judgment for our neighbor. We forget what Paul is meditating on in our epistle lesson, how he thinks of how he has, has a righteousness of his own, or that is not of his own, that came from Jesus as a gift through faith, and therefore he strives to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching out to the things ahead, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. See, when we forget that it's not our vineyard, not our wine press, not our land, not our harvest, we begin to think of our future as ours to control and to do with what we will. And this leads us ultimately away from Jesus. And the Jesus in the parable lets the authors write their own, he, he lets his uh, accusers write their own judgment. He asks them and closes the parable with verse 40. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will utterly destroy those evil men. He will, they, they, then he will lease the vineyard to other tenants and he will give them the portion of the harvest. See, the teachers of Israel know, what any person would know is that people who forget what belongs to what does and doesn't belong to them, well, they tend to act unjustly. And they tend to take what doesn't belong to them. But here, from the beginning, God is the owner of the vineyard. God is the tender of the vineyard. And God is this mercifully bizarre vineyard owner who sends person after person after person to give the tenant farmers a chance to do the right thing. But again and again and again, they say no. And so Jesus shifts. After they have, have written the judgment, given the answer that he was fishing for, he then changes from that parable to another image. No longer are we looking at a vineyard and grapes. Now we are talking about a building. In verse 42, Jesus says to them, Have you, and this is, remember, this is Jesus' answer to their own self-judgment. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, from being the murdered son, he goes to being the rejected cornerstone. Instead of the tenant farmers who are unjustly claiming Israel, 
We have builders who are calculating what exactly will make the building perfect. But God's judgment works differently. He has given the cornerstone that, that they rejected. He has made it the center of the building that he is building. So what, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying is that God's reign, God's kingdom, is being fulfilled in him. This is a prophecy he replies to himself multiple times. And it's being built by God, not by these religious leaders. And in this kingdom, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the starting place. He's the one from which everyone else finds their bearing and their place. And to those who've forgotten who they are and who, to whom they belong, this is an offense. This is not, first and foremost, what we would call gospel, good news from Jesus. This is a confrontation. Now, this, it's important for us to recognize that not all hearers have the same things on their minds. In Luther's day, 500 years ago, everyone believed in God. Only some village weirdos didn't believe in God. And it was a lot harder for people to believe, not in God, it was harder for them to believe that they could be forgiven. They struggled to believe that, that without a certain kind of works or certain kind of life, maybe going to a monastery, that they could actually be accepted into God's rule and reign. And so the dominant feeling was one of guilt, of being sinners in the hands of an angry God. And so they felt not disdain towards the owner, but they felt like, well, hopeless. And to these people, the cornerstone message is gospel. God is building this house, and he does it out of whatever stones he chooses. But in our age, it's a little different. Fewer and fewer people believe in God, and those who even do believe in God don't believe that, God has, that God's existence has any bearing on their lives. We've heard of the whole spiritual but not religious is the dominant religious group in America right now. That is, people who say, okay, yeah, there's probably something more than this world, but I'm going to do it my way. I don't need to be part of it. Don't, no one needs to tell me what to do, certainly. And the idea that, that God has a claim on our lives, that he actually gets to tell us what to do, well, that's a long, long way from our imagination. It's a lot harder to believe that there's a God who saved maybe, well, designed you, gave you a body, and a heart and a mind that were built for some purposes and not for others. In our day, it's more difficult to believe that God designed human nature and that our lives are free when we fall in line with God's plan for us instead of writing our own. And so the dominant feeling in our age is not a feeling of guilt, but a feeling of, well, who needs forgiveness? That's judgy. And to us, in our day, the stumbling, the stone of stumbling puts a very different question. These tenant owners who've forgotten whose vineyard it is puts to us a very different question. Who is your Lord? Who gets to tell you who you are? Who gets to tell you what you are? Is Jesus your king? Do you acknowledge his right to pass judgment on your life? Because don't say you believe in Jesus if you reject his claim on your identity. That's what kings get to do. They get to tell you who you are and your place. And so perhaps you haven't forgotten who you are and you know that you, you are created by God and you fall short. And you know all the ways that you fail to love God and love your neighbor. You need to know that the judgment Jesus passes on your life is forgiven because he went to the cross to pay the debt you owed so that you could become part of God's kingdom, not by your merit or worthiness, not by anything you do, not by anything you have, but because of his grace, that God could build you into his house by uniting you to Christ, 
a building built out of forgiven sinners and held together with the righteousness of Christ. But perhaps it's not where you are. You're not sure that Jesus actually has a claim on your identity or on your behavior or on your lifestyle. That you're a creature of God who doesn't get to write your own rules. Then this story stands before you as a, as a summons, as a confrontation to remind you whose you are. To remind you what, who's everything that you have, to whom it belongs. Your life, your rights, your family, your joys, your gifts, your talents. They all come from a God before whom one day you will stand to give an account. And on that day, there will be one and only one question. Did you stand on this cornerstone or did you trip over it? When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To forsake all that belongs to him to take up a cross instead. When you say Jesus is Lord, that means he's Lord of everything. There's no corner of your life you get to hold on to you as your own. Your life, your death, your bedroom, your taxes, your rights, your future, your past, it all belongs to Jesus. So dear brothers and sisters, let us not forget. Let us not take our eyes off of the one whose we are. And so that when we fix our eyes on him, we can do what Paul does, strive towards him, to make him our own. Why? Because he has made us his own. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and heart and mind. Amen. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmaus.org. P-A-S-C-O dot org.